Hey, what's going on, gang? We have a Phoenix Kaleeder and Dr. Mo here on this one. And um, it was a tough go of recording. The uh, Blog Talk radio telephone service wasn't working, which I shouldn't be surprised, like, with folks quarantined. Uh, pro- like, live broadcasters on Blog Talk are probably super-duper busy, you know, and we don't go live that much. We mostly um, record and upload. And, um... So we weren't able to use that service, so I took a tablet, a 2012 tablet, <laughs> so it's um, the hardware is a little bit behind on the modern day software, and the, um, <clears throat> excuse me, and we did a Facebook messenger call, and then took a Bluetooth speaker, and we have two microphones, and we put the Bluetooth speaker up against one microphone, while Phoenix Kaleeder held up and talked to the tablet so that Dr. Mo could hear her while also talking into her microphone, which is to the left. <laughs> to the right if you watch us on camera, I think. All right, uh, so, but this is a podcast audio only, and um, check it out. This is ill, right? This podcast started as some black atheist hip-hop comedy show, and now we have a general practitioner, a doctor, talking about a pandemic from another continent. <laughs> All right. It's recording. All right, and we're official. All right, and we are here with Dr. Mo, one of the wine cellar friends, all the way from Australia. Uh, can you tell us what part of Australia you're from? Yeah, so I live in Perth, and I've always lived in Western Australia, but right now, as I'm speaking to you, I'm actually in Broome, which is in the north of the state in the Kimberley, almost 2,000 miles from the capital city. Um, And so we have, for example, a hospital that's quite well equipped, but doesn't have the ability to keep people on ventilators for more than 24 hours. Oh, wow. We don't have an ICU. Um, and there's other things we don't have, including the ability to process the um, COVID swabs here. So we've been sending them to Perth, which means there is that lag and that delay in, um, you know, a couple of days at least to be able to actually get results back because they have to go down on a commercial plane. I'm not going to lie. All I heard was no ICU and like my heart just dropped a little bit. That sounds terrifying to me. Uh, just- Sorry. No, it's not your fault at all. Um, But you said people can't be on ventilators for more than 24 hours. Do you find that a lot of patients need ventilators for more than 24 hours with COVID? Well, so if people are going to be on ventilators for COVID, the average time that they're requiring is two to four weeks. So it's not that we won't um, save people who are up here. It's that we'll need to fly them down to Perth on a ventilator. Okay. So we can start that process up here but we don't have the capacity to look after a whole bunch of people on ventilators. So the plan will be once or if people start requiring, you know, high level care for their COVID disease. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately it, it's a bit of a big question at the moment, whether the measures that we've got in place are going to be enough to stop this spread to the indigenous communities here who are, you know, physically very vulnerable due to all their comorbidities in general, you know, on average, Mm -hmm. Um, the rates of diabetes and heart disease and lung disease and immunocompromised and old age are, um, are unfortunately really high, which means that there will be, if COVID gets up here properly, 
and at the moment there's you know a handful of cases that have been quarantined really well um, and we're all really hopeful of course that it won't get into the communities but if it does there's going to be a lot of people who will probably get very sick with it mm-hmm. based on the research that we're seeing in other countries about people who do have the comorbidities I mentioned mm-hmm. um, and so yeah they will need to be flown down to Perth by the Royal Flying Doctor Service, the RFDS, who come and retrieve patients quite regularly. Um, you know, if you get a really terrible break in your leg, then they're still going to fly you down for surgery because we don't do orthopedic surgery up here. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just kind of the reality of rural medicine or remote medicine. Okay. Um, so now because you all don't have uh, a lot of COVID cases yet. Do you have enough equipment? Uh, like enough, I, I see a lot of hospitals we, are running out of PPE and things like that. Is that a concern for you? Yeah. Where you're at? Yeah. Look, that was a worry for us. Um, but there's a businessman who runs like a company called Fortescue Metals Group. Um, and, and, you know, obviously has profited a lot off of like mineral resources in Australia, mm-hmm. iron ore mainly. Um, and he's actually donated $160 million worth of PPE, I think just to the Western Australian government. Um, and so we are like flush with PPE at the moment. We're still being really careful about not using it too much, you know, trying to conserve it by um, like I'll stay in PPE for up to two hours and then take a break. Okay. It kind of sucks being in PPE because you can't drink, you can't pee, you can't. Right. You know, you're just sweating away. Mm-hmm. So that's why we take regular breaks. But at the same time, we don't want to be. We call it donning and doffing. You don it on, you don it on, and then you doff it off. <laughs> okay. Um, and we're trying not to do that too often. It's kind of a balance between our physical health and and conserving the PPE. Right. So speaking of your health, um, are there any uh, sort of programs or policies in place to take care of you, of the medical staff, especially mental health-wise? Yeah, that's a really good question. We've we've had emails from, like, the higher-ups saying, look, this is a tough time. Don't forget that, you know, your mental health is important. Things like yoga and meditation are good you know, debriefing with your colleagues. And we do have access to an EAP, an Employment Employee Assistance Program. So you can call them 24-7 if you've got any kind of kind of psychological distress or you've had a really tough day in, in the emergency department or on the ward or whatever. But as far as I know, most EAPs, you can only get three or five sessions. So it's not usually super handy, like not super useful, Mm -hmm. to just engage with a therapist and then not be able to have any more sessions as far as I'm concerned. Um, But they are trying very hard to make it like a nice work environment. We've been playing music and having individually wrapped snacks in the tea room and, you know, cups of tea together because there is a lot of downtime when we don't have patients to swap. It's just that when um, I'm talking about COVID clinic in particular, which I've been working in for the last week, um, yeah, it's just that sometimes we get really busy and then it can be a bit stressful. Um, and I guess there's, there's a big mental load. Even when I'm not busy, I'm realizing how exhausting I'm finding work, maybe partly because I'm not busy 
and mm-hmm. part like you know you've got all that time to just kind of sit around and sweat <laughs> right right um in our little COVID clinic, we're also going to start because we've got a whole bunch of rooms that aren't in use from what was the outpatient department, you know, where people would come for outpatient appointments. And we're going to start a little sort of exercise yoga meditation room where there's like an iPad that we can go in and just have a dance or mm-hmm. have a stretch or lie down on the on, on, a, on a yoga mat or something, just kind of decompress. Mm-hmm. That sounds wonderful, actually. Um, I'm glad that you're able to do that. Um, so as far as patients go, um, what are their options as far as, cause I know doctors always say it's important to, you know, keep up your morale and stay positive and, th- and things like that. Is there anything as far as like mental health or holistic treatment for patients available? Yeah. Yeah. So Australia has really recognized, I guess the toll that, um, COVID itself, you know, being this sort of spectre of potential death, um, even though, honestly, the, the rates of death are quite low, you know, they are higher than the flu, but lower than a lot of diseases, but it's right. just the sheer volume of infection that, that will cause, you know, the bunch of deaths that we're hoping not to see, but probably will. Mm-hmm. Um we're in a very different situation to you guys where, you know, in our state, which has 2 million people, there's only less than 600 cases. Oh, wow. Um, and I think we've had like three or maybe six deaths and most of them were older people who came off a cruise ship with it. So they're not like community transmission. Mm-hmm. Um, but the government has a 24-hour coronavirus hotline that probably has the numbers to refer to mental health services you know, Lifeline, Good Samaritans, Beyond Blue, they're all kind of mental health, you know, phone mm-hmm. lines that you can contact at any time of the day. The other good thing is that um, the government has, remember I was talking about how GPs get paid and they have, last time that I spoke with William mm-hmm. and how, you know, they get um, basically a rebate from the government and they can either bulk bill or privately bill. Mm-hmm. Well, the government has introduced all of these telehealth, like telemedicine items that they okay. can bill so they don't have to physically see their patients um, and put you know, themselves and their patient at risk, particularly if it's something like mental health. Um, and so they can talk to their GP over the phone or video now. And in fact, a good friend of mine is working for a youth mental health service um, up here and she, she's been fielding calls from, from young people um, where, you know, that's their doctor appointment. They're not seeing her in person, but she can still provide, you know, care for their depression or their anxiety or whatever over the phone. And that covers, in particular, kids between, I think, 12 and 25. Okay. Um, and then there are similar services in place for adults as well. That actually sounds amazing. I wish we had more options here like that. Oh, but once again, we're number one in being shitty. I know. <laughs> I know. The American healthcare system is so fucked. And for years I've said I'll never work in it. Yeah. And to be honest, I don't know whether I could. Like, could I cope with being in, you know, a government hospital where I'm not allowed to provide the level of care that I want to without charging people literally an arm and a leg, mm-hmm. well, not literally figuratively, but like it just appalls me how 
a medical bill can bankrupt a person in the US. And, you know, I think part of why you're seeing so many deaths over there in the US is not just, you know, the population and the spread, but the fact that most people wouldn't have had their asthma or their diabetes under, you know, the strictest or best control possible Mm -hmm. in terms of like optimizing their health. Because how the fuck can they afford their puffers or their insulin or their tablets or even just see a doctor regularly? You know, here we we do have socialized healthcare and it just makes everything so much easier, so much better. Yeah, and it's interesting that you say that because, of course, you know, social justice podcast, obviously, but, you know, things like environmental racism, racism are such a huge factor too. And actually, you know, we're um, in the Chicagoland area, and uh, something that they're doing right now in the middle of the pandemic is uh, demolishing buildings in low-income non-white neighborhoods, and it's creating what? dust. It's creating dust storms. So there's just a bunch oh of oh my god, yeah. There's... They, tell me they're doing it to create like a new clinical hospital or like more housing for for lower-income people. I'm quite certain they're doing it to build high-rise condos that will gentrify the neighborhood. Oh. But yeah, they actually had in like an additional uh, sort of stay in order in a predominantly predominantly Latino neighborhood because they did the demolition and it just caused like so much dust that people couldn't go outside. It, it looked like there was like a fire oh because there was God. so much just dust in the air. Yeah, so during the pandemic, this is what hate we're doing. Your country's leadership so much. And to be honest, it's my country too. I've got a US passport, but I think I'm going to give up my citizenship because <laughs> I don't see myself living there and I've got a Canadian passport as well. I'd love to visit my family. I want to come and hang out with you guys next year. Yes. But um God, it just, this rampant hyper-capitalism is so fucked up. I don't know how anyone lives in your country without, I don't even know what to say, you know? (laughs) Well, we don't live well and we don't live long. That's how we live. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly, but how you even, like, don't slam your head against a, a desk every single day that Trump trots out some new kind of idiocy and and the, and the problem is it's not just Trump, is it? It was this way before. It's just mm-hmm. that Trump has bought things. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. What happened? I think we just lost her. Oh. Did the whole application crash? I think so, because the screen just went dark. But it's, I don't see it. So you would go back to Facebook and then to Messenger from Facebook. Oh, wait, cut out. Oh, wait, did we, did we lose you there? Yeah, I'm there. Okay. Um, by the way, how much longer do you have? I don't want to make you late for work. Um, I've probably got another seven minutes. Okay. Um, anyways. Well, I guess uh, since you're the doctor, <laughs> we can ask you, um, as we get ready to close it out, what are some things that people can do to try to stay safer? To try and stay safer. So to stay safe from the virus, all the advice has been, you know, wash your hands, don't touch your face, don't congregate in groups. Um, and that is still, you know, as a public health measure, it always comes down to prevention rather than treatment or cure being the most effective way to stop yourself getting sick and not, you know, and not get it severely and, and all of that. So in terms of not getting the virus, it's still wash your hands, use hand sanitizer, 
you know, in any in any arena where you're being exposed to other people's germs. So at work, at the shopping centre, um, you know, places that you have to go. And really, I don't know how well um, Americans at the moment are staying home, but we're, we're getting pretty good results from, you know, asking or begging or pleading with people to just stay at home. There's always going to be a few dickheads who kind of flout the rules. Um, and I think it's really important that governments, you know, local governments or state governments do introduce, you know, the restrictions that we're seeing in some states in the US and the restrictions that we're seeing here where you can't congregate with more than one other person. Um, you can't be more than one and a half metres close to someone when even when you're out shopping in the grocery store or like yesterday I went past the post office and there's a big line where people are spaced one and a half metres apart um, mm. kind of going out the door. So all of those public health measures are really important. Um, but on a personal level um, and bearing in mind that there's varying levels of evidence for this but I'm going to say it anyway. Everyone should be kind of trying to keep their body as healthy as possible and boost their immune system. So things that we know do that are things like exercise, laughing, stress relief activities, whatever that means. Um, even uh, physical contact, like the release of oxytocin, so having a big cuddle with your cat or your dog or your friend or your child. All mm. of those things are actually really healthy for your body as well as your mind. Um, and then the part that doesn't have as much evidence that I'm going to say anyway is, you know, using your diet or, or even vitamins and supplements to try and support your immune system. So I think we, we are sure as, as a medical profession that vitamin C um, helps the immune system and actually vitamin D as well. So if you're not getting much sunshine, then it, it may be worth taking vitamin D supplements if you can afford them. Or, you know, if you can't, then going outside um, in the sun, um, obviously in a socially distant way for, you know, even 10 minutes a day and letting the sun fall on your skin. And that's not just vitamin D. That's important, you know, to your mental health um, and your physical health to get to get fresh air and sunshine. I love that. Um, but the supplements that I would be recommending would be vitamin C. And you don't have to take a tablet for that. You can just drink orange juice or tomato juice or mm -hmm. have a whole bunch of fruit every day and colorful vegetables. Mm -hmm. So I think keeping up a diet that is as nourishing as possible within the confines I know of a lot of your listeners living in food deserts and um, not having a lot of means to buy and, and prepare and, and eat fresh foods. But I think the ideal is, you know, a, a nourishing diet, um, plenty of vitamin C, a little bit of sun every day, um, and and all of those other things I mentioned as stress relief to, to support your own immune system. I love it. And I'm actually on this sort of like a, like canned fruit kick now. I'm, I'm really big into the tropical fruit, so maybe the vitamin C will help me in the long run. I'm eating lots of like canned yeah, mangoes and fantastic. papayas and things. that's great. <laughs> That's exactly so. what you want to be doing. And that's something that I didn't mention, actually, is that frozen fruit or vegetables or canned fruit or vegetables are still really healthy. So if you're somewhere that you can't get, you know, fresh, unprocessed fruit and veg, or if you're someone who struggles to prepare that, don't feel bad. Just use frozen fruit and veg 
or um, or tinned or pre-prepared items, um, and you will still be getting, you know, the nutrients that that they cut that they have when they come out of the ground or off the tree. Awesome. All right. I just want to say thank you because I know you have to get to your shift. We appreciate you uh, going into work at this time. Uh, this has been Dr. Mo from Thanks, Australia. Phoenix. I'm yes. sorry I couldn't spend longer, but I, I no. do want to have a big talk with you one day. Yes. On air. We will. If you're happy. We will. About some trauma stuff and some personal stuff. Um, but we'll have to do it another time because yes. I've got to go see sick people. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you for doing what you do. Um, last thing real quick. Is there anything that we can do to help hospital workers at this time? Um, that's a good question. Look, there's, there's groups popping up, you know, adopt a healthcare worker, walk their dog, make them a meal. All of that stuff is really nice. I think in Australia, at least, it's important to remember that you don't need to donate money or goods or anything to us. We're all getting paid. We're worried about people, you know, who, who run small businesses or are furloughed or laid off from their jobs. So as much as a lot of small businesses have been offering, like, free coffees and free or half-priced pizza or whatever, like, that stuff is lovely, but I'm still getting paid. What, what I find really helpful is just like morale boosting, knowing that people are staying home and, and trying to flatten the curve. Um, but to be honest, when people, you know, when people thank healthcare workers or seem to understand that, yes, there's going to be long lines or long delays sometimes and, no, we can't get an immediate result back from your um, test, it's going to take a couple of days, just that level of, I guess, human compassion for us I find really really uplifting when I'm kind of doing this job every day and you know when I swab people in COVID clinic I'm making everyone cry and I feel terrible about it but I'm also having really nice chats with most of my patients and they're forgiving me even if they're four years old and you know need some chocolate to stop screaming after I put the swab <laughs> right to the back of their nose so right um Sorry for the ramble, but I guess I'm saying, you know, we're all in this together and as healthcare workers feeling that we're supported by the community has been really powerful. Um, and I guess the other thing is that we're not saints, we're not martyrs, you know, we're not heroes for doing this job because that rhetoric is what allows governments to sacrifice us, mm -hmm. you know, to be like, oh, well, doc you know, doctors and nurses, they're happy to do it. This is their calling. We don't have to provide them with all of the PPE. And it's like, no, this is still my workplace. Right. Give me a gown, mask, goggles, and a hairnet. Yes. Yes. Um, okay. That's awesome. Uh but yeah, so I just wanted to say thank you so much for coming on. We will try to follow up again. And then, of course, we're going to have another more serious long-form chat coming up soon. But I will let you go so great, you're not late great. for your shift. But once again, we love you. We appreciate you. Thank you for being a part of the Wine Cellar community. We we like you. Oh, thank you so much. It brings so much joy to my life. And Laura has been listening to you guys heaps. So oh, yay. I'm hearing bits and pieces. I'm just wary of... of of consuming too much news and media at the moment. Oh, I get it. Um, but always hit me up when there's an episode that happens not to have a not to need a trigger warning, because then I can um, enjoy them even when I'm a bit vulnerable. Yes, we will definitely do so. Thank you so so much. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on and letting me chat. And um, I wish it could be longer, but um, we'll we'll chat again soon. All right, sounds great. Thank you.
All right. Take care and stay well. Thanks. Bye, Mo. Bye.